Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. Last week, we started a series talking about the testing of your faith. And today, if I could bring along like a subtitle, it would be Hang On to Your Confidence. Hang on to your confidence. It's very important when it comes to trials. So the test of your faith, that is usually when the trials come in our life. None of us like those moments. God does not try us, but God allows us to go through trials. Bad things happen to good people. All sickness, disturbances, issues that we have that would bring a trial in our life all comes from an attack of Satan and the enemy. It's just part of the world. And a lot of things we cannot answer. And uh, we just got to know that God stands with us. And ultimately, he can bring something good out of it. He can take all things, which is the good, bad, and ugly, and work them out to our good. We know that. So let's read James 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test in your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Now, last week, as we discussed this, we talked about our trials being actually a moment where God will deal with us and do things in our life, that we can call our trials the dealings of God, that God will use them to bring about the better in our life. You have to understand as well that God will never allow you to go through a trial that you can't handle. You can't handle it. God would not allow it to come upon you if it was something that just you could not handle. And our first focus today is this, is understanding the fire of God. We need to understand what does that mean. When we are going through the fire, we'll sing those awesome songs, uh, going through storms and the master of the sea or through the fire that the Crab family uh, so graciously wrote and has touched the kingdom of God. Uh, but we sing about those, but what does that actually mean scripturally? We know it's a rough time. We know that it's a trial. We know it's a time when we're not feeling God in our life, uh, that we're walking by faith, trying to maneuver through the best we can and be as faithful as we can in the moment. But Isaiah 31 and 9 says, He shall cross over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Now, God's fire, he said, abides in Zion. That God is working in a way, intense, he, he is very intense or passionate towards Zion. Zion represents the church. So as we looked at that in Isaiah 31 and 9, uh, that, that was up there for us to see that God is working in a way in our life that he's passionate about us. In other words, God's got a fire and a passion for you and I. But not only that, but God wants to bring us through moments of the fire. So it works both ways. So we as believers live in a furnace of holy fire. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, for our God is a consuming fire. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells in our life, which is the fire of God in us. And not only is God passionate about us. Not only does God uh, have that fire towards us because he's a jealous God in the fact that he wants, you know, our, our everything, just wants us to put him first. But also when he lives in our life and we're in the right relationship with God that we need to be, then the fire of God's living in our life. But also God wants to bring you through moments of the fire. 
All right? So God so desires that his fire burns in us with, that we would call believers, we call the local church, that those that are genuine with God will be challenged. Do you realize that God wants his believers to be challenged? Now, when you raise your kids, don't you think it's good to challenge them? Don't you think it's good for sometimes for them to figure out something on their own or learn a hard lesson? Or even you give them goals that you know is hard. You're like, this is going to be difficult for you, but this is going to be good for you. Sometimes it comes to that stage of life with our kids. But also us as believers, God says, you know, there's some trials that it's going to come your way that you're going to need. That's going to make you better. So God allows us to walk through that, but he allows the genuine in God to be challenged. But also, it begins to show us who really the hypocrites or the ingenuine would be. Those that are professing to have a lot with God, but really does not have a lot with God. And it begins to separate because the genuine takes the challenge. The ingenuine or those that have a lot to say, but yet nothing to back it up, they begin to fall in these times. See, the real church does not remain unchallenged. And when the heat is up in our lives, whether it's through trials, whether it's through attacks, whether it's through pains, whether it's through aches or uh, experiences, we initially, first thing we want to do, and we think about in our flesh, our mind, our flesh being our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, that we begin to think of it in a way, well, it's time for me to tap out. And you heard me say last week that a lot of times when the heat gets up, that's when people say, you know, see you later. They'll say, I'll find another church, but they find out that they have to go through that same dealings of God at that church. I'll find a new job every six months, and, um, and those jobs are not the problem. If there's always a problem with you and the job, do you think that maybe it's not the job? If it's always you and a church, do you ever think possibly it's not the church? I mean, I can go on all day with that. You can go on all day long with different avenues. But a lot of times people always say, well, this is my problem. This is my problem. But never really understanding that possibly the trial of your life is to show forth what impurities you have and what really needs to be fixed in your life. There's times I think that I've got some things dealt with and under the blood, but I don't. And I'm like, man, there it is again. I thought I dealt with this in the last trial. So here we go, dealing with this thing again in my life. I know you all are too spiritual and holy to have those things, but I deal with those things. But just note that the real church is willing to go through what I would call a trial given from Satan or the dealings of God when God is going to use that trial to bring about the betterment in you. Jeremiah 23 and 29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Jeremiah 6 and 27 says, I have made you an assayer and a tester among my people. God talking to Jeremiah said, I have made you an assayer, made you a tester among my people that you may know and assay their way. Now this is a picture drawn in scripture that God just basically picks us up. He takes what I would call the spiritual tongs and he picks us up and he drops us into the furnace as a hot, red hot, burning coal. And he gets us out as we're red hot, and he begins to take his anvil, and he begins to hammer us into shape. That doesn't feel good. But many times, that's exactly what the trial is. He's placed you right in the furnace, he puts you on the table, and he's like, i got to reshape you because i got even better plans for you in the future, a greater anointing. 
greater things and a purpose that you haven't even seen yet that I'm going to work and shape you so you're prepared for it. See, all of our life, we, what do we do with our kids? We prepare them to leave. Hopefully. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. We prepare them. There comes a time that we quit enabling them. Nope. You're going to learn. Right? It's what we do. There's times spiritually, our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He wants us to grow. He knows if He just gave us everything that we would have no growth in our life if He just enabled whatever, whatever, just take it, just go. I just want to get it so it's easy. You know, God doesn't have that type. Once we get saved, yes, that's His bailout plan. But after that, He's like, you're going through this. And this is how you grow. This is your maturity in life. So God called Jeremiah to serve as an assayer, or what we would call an examiner of the people. An assayer is someone who tests metal or judges the value or the worth of a metal based upon its components. And he begins to judge the value or the worth based upon its purity of composition. And an assayer, Jeremiah was that symbol. He was like, God said, I'm calling you to let them know. You're going to call them out. You're going to judge it. You're going to let them know what's valuable. You're going to let them know about their spirituality. In other words, Jeremiah was a type and shadow of Christ or the working of the Holy Spirit in our life today. Jesus examines our hearts. Have you ever heard people say, the Lord knows my heart? And usually they say it when they're deceitful. They say it when they're lying right through their teeth. When someone says, well, they say it all spiritual and false humility. The Lord knows my heart. You better believe he does. <laughs> right? As soon as they say that, that's like a red flag. Something is up, right? Next time someone says say that, you're going to say, well, what's your alternative motive? But Jesus examines our hearts, evaluates our true spiritual condition, and then brings his fire to affect the purity and the usefulness which creates a passion in us for him. It brings spiritual growth to our life. In fact, the longer you're in Christ and the more you come through these dealings, and as you stay in relationship with God, and just don't go through the motions of this thing because it's easy to fake people out and be ingenuine and just go through the motions. But then to really be in relationship with God, you realize it's a whole lot easier to just be in relationship with God and then be ingenuine and a hypocrite. It's more work to be a hypocrite. You've got to do a lot of lying, deceiving, deceiving others, deceiving yourself. Besides, just be genuine and give it to God. A lot less work, a lot easier, and a lot more fun. You feel better about yourself. So when our passion for God becomes the foremost fire in our lives, then the impact in other lives becomes the inescapable outflow. In other words, people begin to be affected by our relationship with Christ. They are touched by it. So don't get upset today at your trial. Don't get upset at the pain. Embrace it discern it and say, you know what? I was praying when I was on the mountaintop and there's no trial. I was reading the Bible. I was going to church. But when the furnace is kicked up, a lot of times that's when we start backing off. You know, I'll go every other Sunday. Pastor, take me off the rotation. I, I, I can't serve there. I've got a problem with this person, that person. Well, it's you that God's working on all everybody else. So you start backing off. And, and, and you, then you say, well, I'll just show up to church when I want to. And, and then, but it's because the heat is up. But that's when you should really plug in more. That's when you should pray more, read more, 
Be at church more. Do more spiritual things because you're like when the heat's up, that's when God is really doing a dealing in my life and bringing about the better things. And as soon as the trial's over, many times what we do is like, well, you know, maybe I'll plug back into spiritual things. But then we realize we never did fully let God deal with what, what he was dealing with. So we just go cycle again. It's all over. It's a circle. We never dealt with it. We never truly submitted everything. I've watched for years for people, they go through the same cycle. They go through it, they begin to back out. And what happens in times of the trial, you're easily offended. Your flesh starts going nuts in the trials. You're easily offended, you're easily angered, you get upset more, you begin to be more cynical and negative. Besides looking at all the positive, you try to find everything negative because the heat's up. Well, once the trial's over, because you never did go through the trial embracing it, and the spiritual things God wanted to do, you begin to go through cycles. Well, okay, it's over. I'm okay. But then the heat's back up and God starts dealing with the same thing. See, I can't take you to the next level until we deal with this. So I see people go through cycles many times. It's hard. It's not easy to embrace the trial, to embrace the conflict, to embrace the pain, to embrace when you're not feeling God. That's what the trial is. And you don't even feel God. I mean, you might have little senses of God, a little leading, but you don't have any explosive moments. And because we're not having explosive moments, we don't realize that we're in the trial, and it don't have to do with everything around us. It has to do with what's working in us. Second thing today to focus is an offering of righteousness. Malachi 3 and 3 says this, and he will sit at, and he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. Now, Malachi 3 is in reference to all believers. We are called to offer what we would name spiritual sacrifices to God. Offerings in righteousness, which are spiritual sacrifices, which this would be accepted as you just serving God. Doing the things of God. Maybe in your role of leadership, your role of serving, or just you've been faithful in the things that you have. Maybe you're, you're just allowing God to disciple you. You're attending a life group. Or maybe you're leading a life group. Maybe you're a, you're a ball team and God's allowed you to be over them so you can give them spiritual insight. And say, it's not all about this right here, but you know, I can give devotions and, and, and God's put me in the community for this. So many ways of that. Maybe it's a teacher in the classroom. Maybe it's a nurse on the third floor. I don't know, but maybe that's what God's doing through you and you're able to touch lives and inspire spiritually and that is your way of offering up spiritual sacrifice. I believe God is raising up a generation that's going to offer offerings of righteousness unto him. Instead of loving their labors, they will love the Lord. See, a lot of people are in love with their ideas and they're in love with their works and their labors. They're in love with themselves. They're in love with what they do. They're in love with an idea. But God wants us to put all that aside and love him first. That's what God's looking for, is just that we will simply love him and do it for him, that we will find fulfillment in being an offering of righteousness or spiritual sacrifices without guile, without slyness, without manipulation, without alternative motives, but it's simply all for Jesus. See, as believers, some things are given to us when we are born again. They're free. Eternal life's free. The Holy Spirit lives in your life free. In that moment, peace, joy, and more things just come. But do you realize there comes a point that God, as I said, he just completely, uh, the bailout plan of humanity is given in that moment. 
It's all free. There comes a time, everything after that is no longer free. That it comes by sacrifice. It comes by faith. It comes by staying the course. Our salvation is free, but everything after that comes at a heavy price to get to the great things of God. You find someone that's a good Bible teacher, preacher, good singer, a good children's leader, someone that's good at touching the community, and they're faithful to God. All those things and the debt that comes with them comes with the price of pain. Comes with the price of tribulation and then staying the course. Comes with the price of being faithful in spite of everything else that's going on in their life. Revelation 3 and 18 says this. I counsel you to buy from me gold. He said, buy from me. This is God. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. God said, I want you to buy from me while you're in the fire. He said, what you buy from me going through the fire, the gold, the refined, he said, is to make you rich. Make you rich what? Spiritually. That's the first thing. So first of all, what is gold refined in the fire? Well, it's a twofold answer to that one question. The gold is a purified faith. It's a faith that survives the fire and tribulations and attacks. It's a faith that does not allow offense or bitterness or anger to get in them in the trial. It's the fire of God in you, the faithfulness of God that survives that fire that says, I'm not going to bail out. I'm staying the course. And I realize that this is a trial. But you know what? I'm not going to call it a trial. I'm going to call it the dealings of God in my life that God's going to bring out the greater good in me and I'm going to be rich in him spiritually. That's what the fire's about. As a price to pay and staying faithful in the fire. See, the gold is refined character as well. What do you mean when fiery trials have effectively made us more like Jesus than we have gained true riches? Your anointing will match your character. You find someone with a great anointing, you'll find someone with a great character. You see someone that lacks character, they're going to lack anointing. Someone with great effectiveness in the kingdom is someone that has great character. That is doing the right thing when no one else is looking. When you go to the fire, God always makes you more like him. As I've grown in Christ, there's things that's convicted me over the years that didn't used to convict me, but there's a price to pay of becoming more like Christ. It doesn't always feel good in the trial, but when you come out of the trial, you're back on that mountaintop, the anointing that begins to flow in your life begins to touch so many more lives. So what is the price that we pay to buy such a valuable spiritual treasure? It's purchased at the cost of great personal pain, Difficult trials, tribulation, calamities, infirmities, and hardships. If that was the name of a life group, none of y'all would sign up. I mean, you wouldn't sign up. Well, what did I get in that group? Pain. Difficult times. Don't feel God in a lot of moments. You've got to fight off offense, anger, bitterness. Fight off negative, cynical thinking. You've got to try to speak life when you don't feel like you have any life to give. You're like, not me. But whether we want to sign up or not, that's our trials are going to come our way. James told us, I looked at it last week, he said, don't be surprised. Don't be taken by surprise when trials come. The gold that is bought in the fire is only attained when we persevere the tribulations, the calamities, the infirmities, the hardship, and the difficult times. When crisis explodes in our life, that's when we have to fix our focus on God. And when we do that, it's an offering of righteousness unto God. Lastly, 
today, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one. Maintain confidence. There's one thing the enemy wants you to do is have no confidence in the trial. He just wants you to be negative, lost of hope. He wants to steal your confidence. This is what the writer of Hebrews had to say about it in Hebrews 10, 35-37. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have indeed need or have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. Now the scripture is saying not to throw away confidence because your confidence will produce great reward, especially in the trial. If you'll keep confidence in the trial, what do you mean? Your confidence is not in you. You see, a lot of times in trial, we try to get our hands in it. And I've done it so many times and messed up. Because we start maneuvering and try to rework something. We try to add something. Oh, I'll make that happen because some of you, if you're fixers, you get it. I'm like a fixer. I want to fix it. Me and Kristen will be talking. I'll say, I'll take care of it. She said, I'm not asking you to fix it. I just want you to hear me. I'm like, it's hard for me just to hear you and not fix it. You guys get that, right? You're like, why are you telling me if you don't want me to fix it? You know, but they're like, I don't want you to touch it. I'm like, I just want you to hear it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but sometimes we want to fix it, and God says there's nothing you can do to fix this. But the more we try to fix it, then we begin to produce something in the flesh, and everything we produce in the flesh, we have to maintain in the flesh. That's why we've got to be patient, like James said in our text today, and let patience do its work, because at the end of that trial, he said we will lack nothing. When he says that we, don't, we won't lack anything, I believe that to be our emotional health, physical health, our finances. I believe that to be spiritually. I believe that to be relationally. I believe that to be every need in our life that we will lack nothing, that he will meet all our needs according to what? His riches and glory when he says we will lack nothing, but we got to let his patience work and let our patience begin to work and begin to work in the trial of just having confidence. How do I have confidence in a trial? You have to stay in relationship with God. You can't bail out. See, our flesh goes nuts in the trial, though. Over here is the gossip. That feels good in a trial. I'll badmouth everybody. Um, over here is me being cynical. I'm just being negative. I'm going to tell you everything bad about the church today. I don't, I don't like music. It's too cold. It's too hot. I don't like chairs. I don't have pews. Preacher needs to wear a suit. And, and, and then, then you go on. Well, I was able to wear this, wear that. Do they not know what that looks like or what that sounds like? Then all you're doing is, is buying into everything Satan wants you to buy into. But over here is anointing. Over here is a offering of righteousness. Over here is confidence. And I'm telling you, it's very easy to lose the confidence over here if you're not connected in a relationship with God. When the trial and the heat is up, you need to plug in more, not less. I'm telling you, we can work our schedule how we want to work our schedule. People do what people want to do. Like, I don't have time. That's the worst excuse you could ever have for the kingdom of God, praying and be in a relationship. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. Got time to watch sports. Got time to watch Heartland, Netflix binge. Got time to go get you an Oreo blizzard. Got time to eat more than you need to eat. You got, you got time to go buy more than you got to buy. I mean, you got time for all that. But don't have time for the things of God. I know that's radical preaching. I know it's challenging, but it's true. 
we wonder why we keep cycling. See, the enemy attacks two different ways. Firstly, he wants us to relax and quit our fervent pursuit of God. He wants you to no longer be fervently pursuing God. He wants you to find every excuse why you don't have to pursue God. Now, you're going to, you're going to get something here in a second that you'll start understanding a little bit more. But secondly, he wants us to sacrifice everything we've gained at the altar, but not his altar, but the altar of carnal <coughs> compromise. What's carnal compromise? It is settling for the things of the flesh, soulish thinking, which is the mind, will, and emotions, instead of fighting for the things Christ has laid up for us in the supernatural. So, when you start having carnal compromise, this is what happens. The spiritual disciplines you was doing, if you don't do them, you replace them with self-indulgence and carnal compromise. Because before you did the spiritual disciplines, there's already things there in your life. But the moment you lay down spiritual disciplines and the things of God, you begin to place, replace those spiritual disciplines and those things of offerings of righteousness now to self-indulgence. You allow your soul to lead you. You hear me say this? I'm going to keep saying it until we all get sick of it. When you are saved, you are a spirit first. You've been in a relationship with God is the Holy Spirit and you in communion. Your spirit is to tell your mind, will, and emotions what to do. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. But when carnal compromise comes, we no longer are doing spiritual sacrifice. And no longer is the spirit leading. But now we are allowing our soul to lead. And we have self-indulgence replacing the spiritual sacrifices. So easily done. Have I done it? You better believe it. Have I done it as a pastor? Yes. Has there been times in the trial I've just been tired? Yes. Your flesh goes nuts in the trial. Think about Joseph. Joseph had one, one big test to pass. I mean, he had a lot of but One of the big ones he had to pass was resisting Potiphar's wife in order to become the leader of Egypt. Potiphar's wife, come sleep with me, Joseph. I know I'm married. Come sleep with me. But you know what Joseph said? He said, my purity and this carnal compromise is not worth that little small moment of pleasure to give up the favor and the blessing of God. Over here, it feels really good. He left and ran, and she was grabbing a hold of him and had his coat. Potiphar comes home. Joseph, he, he tried to sleep with me, told a lie. Sent him off to prison. She had his coat. I got his coat. See, he left it here. But God knew it. God knew the purity he had. A lot of times we don't realize it. But the flesh is really high in the trial. It's wanting everything that's wrong. But over here we know if we hang on, this is a moment of pleasure. This is a short time. But over here is the everlasting blessing. That's where God wants us. See, it's always to be critical of things. It's easy to be critical of church besides worshiping in church when this stuff's going on. It's always easy to gossip over reading the word of God. It's always easy to fold your arm rather than worshiping. It's always easier to eat over praying. Don't indulge in the flesh in your trial. Many are the afflictions that are righteous, but the Bible says, but God delivers us out of them all. God never fails. He never has failed. Failure is not in his vocabulary. When God begins a thing in your life, he always ends up better than he begins it. Luke 1, 6 and 7, looking at the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias, as they were both righteous, 
in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advancing years. Now, two things mentioned here in Luke 1. First thing is this. They were both blameless. What does that mean? They lived right before God. They walked right. They prayed. They lived out the commandments of God. Not because they, they, they felt like they had to follow the rules. No, out of relationship with God and wanting to honor God, it's easy to keep the rules. When you're in relationship with God, you don't even think about rules. Because your heart says, I just want to serve you. I just want to honor you. But when you're out of relationship with God, all you do is try to work it up in the flesh to keep the rules. Because you're in no relationship, so all you got is, is rules. And all you got is works of the flesh. And all you got is a lot of hard work with nothing. And you're trying to maintain it all. When it's so much easier to be in a relationship, you just want to honor God. It's easy. You don't even have to think about it. Because you want to honor God. If something wrong comes up, he just begins to convict you. Yep, can't do that. The Lord's convicting me. See, two things mentioned there. They, they were both blameless. They lived right. The second was this. This is the hard one. They were barren. You mean to tell me that they were at a place, living right before God, done everything right, but they had barrenness in their life? How many of you have been there? Have you ever been like living your best life for the Lord and let your finances be barren? Live your best life for the Lord and your relationship, your spouse seems barren, relationship with the kids seem barren, your job seems barren, everything you do seems like it's giving no life or certain things not giving life. You're like, how can that be? See, being barren can mean deficiency, whether it's in your health or lacking the promises of God in your life. We've all been there in our life. There's times I've even tried to sell God on it. God, I'm really living good for you. And this is a humble request. I don't know if y'all's ever tried to sell God on it, but I have. It don't work. You still got to go through the trial. I'm like, you know, trying to sales pitch God here. Lord, here I am. I'm going to sell it to you as good as I can. The Lord, it really is a humble request. Why don't you just do it? It's because it wasn't God's time to do it in that moment. See, the absence of children in that day and time, because they could not have a kid, Zacharias and Elizabeth, represented punishment from God and represent a curse from God. So when people see Elizabeth, seeing she was getting older and years she hadn't had a kid, they're like, I wonder what she did privately. I wonder, I wonder what it is that we're not seeing. God's cursed her, her punishment. The Lord has brought a curse on Sister Elizabeth. We know she's not close to the cross. You know, a lot of times people can have that perception, but you know the true story. I know my true story, just like Elizabeth and Zacharias knew their true story, and they knew that they had done nothing wrong, but they lived blamelessly before God. They was in a relationship, but I'm sure that it was tough for them. It was just turmoil. I mean, there's so many people thinking so many crazy things, and we don't know how many tears she probably shed. I imagine that she took her pillow to, and went to her bed and just screamed it. I mean, if this is today's time, like, what is going on? I'm up in age, everybody thinks I've done something wrong. And there's no doubt there's things in our life that we can identify with. You are living the life God says to live, but there's still a part of you that is bare. That is part of the dealings of God. That is part of our trials. Don't lose heart or let go of your confidence. You need to hang on to your very confidence because, remember, Hebrews said there's great reward. Confidence is a mindset we must attain in God of not giving up. And that can only happen in our true relationship with God. When you're a bear, you face that resentment, that bitterness. Your heart is torn. Elizabeth was acquainted with grief. 
She had been trying to get pregnant, only to watch her body to get older and finally move into the years where it's just impossible. Beyond the possibilities of getting pregnant, she felt all doubt, all depression, rejected, and possibly even abandoned by God. But she still yet stayed the course and lived blameless before God. Something in her says, you know, deep down, God still has me. No matter what it looks like to society, God still has me. No matter how I feel many times in my mind, will and emotions, God still has me. So I'm going to live blameless. I'm going to be faithful to the cause. See, the enemy never changed these tactics. He's still doing the same against believers today. He whispers in your ear, give up. Why do you think? You don't even need church. You don't, you don't need a pastor. You don't need a life group. You don't need to serve. You don't need to do this. The enemy brings out the heaviest artillery for the time when we're the weakest. The enemy wants you to be mad. He wants you to be bitter. He wants you to be defended. And, and, and like, you'll never be delivered from it. Your deliverance is you just need to walk out the door. See, the devil will do all he can to get you to return to your past so that you have no satisfaction in your life, so that you will be completely miserable. They'll come to the music today. If you give in to impulsive living and indulge in the flesh, you'll quickly cast away your confidence. You will quickly cast away your confidence when you begin to indulge. In other words, a short time period of gratification and a short-lived pleasure is not worth forfeiting the blessings of God. The Bible says Zechariah and Elizabeth were walking in the commandments of God, meaning they was blameless, but yet they had despair, they had agony, they had greed, and they was facing all these different temptations, and they never indulged in the flesh. When the indulgences would be before them, they would say no to it. They had to maintain the purity before God. You've got to tell the devil, I have came too far. I have worked too hard. I've got my mind on the right track. I got my family on the right track. No matter what trial comes my way, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to bless you. And I'm still going to live for the Lord. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.